I'm sure it was my fault because it couldn't have been the Max fault. Max never make mistakes. Okay, <clears throat> so I don't know if you remember last time, but where we ended, we ended just shy of the end of Romans chapter 7. Okay, and I kind of put this question to you, and uh, I hope, you know, a couple of you thought about it, but it's been several weeks, like you said, so I'm sure you've completely forgotten. That's fine. I would have forgotten also. Um, but, uh, but the question was, when you read the end of Romans chapter 7, is the Apostle Paul talking about the experience of a believer or not, or, a, or someone prior to conversion? So go read the, I'll read the end of Romans chapter seven to you real quick. And then you can, we, we can have this discussion before we jump into Romans chapter eight. Okay. Here's, here's, oh, we're starting in verse 14 or I'm sorry, 15 for what I'm doing. I do not understand for I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing <clears throat> what? For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but the sin which dwells in me. I find then that the principle that evil is present in me and the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Okay. Now, let me ask you, I should have read verse 14 because that is where it starts. It starts with this. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold into bondage to sin. That's how he starts this, this portion of the scripture. So I want to hear from you. Is he speaking as a saved person or is he speaking as a person who is not yet Come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Go. Wait, you said I am Whoa, not all at once. <laughs> Did he say, I am of the flesh? What was That's what he said. What he says it a couple times. In verse 14, he says, I am of the flesh, sold into bondage of sin. And then later on, he says, I am making me a prisoner of this, the law of sin, which is in my members, wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from this body of death? That's what he's saying. So here's my question. Is he speaking as a saved person or not? I, mean, huh? I don't really think so because like when you are saved, like Christ will be free from your sins unless you get destroyed in the Holy Spirit. Right. How many of you have heard these verses in the past and kind of been been like encouraged by them because, yeah, that's my experience? Anybody? Don't man, yeah, right? Okay, so some of us, you know, that's, whenever I ask this question, I get people mad at me. <laughs> because they're like, wait a minute, I thought that was my like way of like feeling better about myself, that I struggle the same way Paul does, but, 
but but I still feel like I'm saved, but okay. What do you think? Is this, you have your hand raised or are you just holding your phone near your face? Okay. <clears throat> is he speaking as a believer or is he speaking as someone who is yet to be saved? Come on, give me your opinions. Don't just sit there and wait for me to spoon feed you. Think for yourselves. Somebody. But it can't, I'm sorry to say. I, I understand you mean... Well, I understand what you mean. Like, I, you could read it either way. Absolutely, you could. But the question is, what did Paul mean when he wrote it? Because he didn't mean it both ways. He only meant it one way. If he meant it both ways, then he's schizophrenic. I mean, truly, because these things, he had something in his head when he wrote it. And the question is, what? Yeah. I think it's the perspective of a believer, because the Lord said that the spirits are loaded with flesh at all times. Even beyond that, if, why would someone who wasn't following Christ care? If they were saved? Well, he was a Jew. Okay, so he did care. And I don't think people that aren't following Christ have no desire to be moral. I don't, I don't think that that's the case. I think people that aren't following Christ desire to be good people. They desire to be moral people. So, this, this, so, so I, I don't think that really answers it for us. But, uh, but the first part, the, 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 the flesh is at war with the spirit, that's absolutely true. And he says that other places in this book. The question is, this portion of scripture, right here, how, what voice is this? Because there's a couple places in this book where Paul takes on like the voice that's speaking against his own his his own point of view, so that he can argue with it. He's kind of you know it's it's like Gollum in 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 you know the uh, yeah Smeagol and Gollum. You remember that scene in in the second Lord of the Rings movie where he's arguing with himself. He's like, ah, that's it. Like, no, the master loves us. You know what? You, you know what I'm talking about? You, yeah. Lord of the Rings. Anybody? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, because it's very clear in the book that there's these two personalities going on, but they never like do that in the actual book where it's like they're talking to each other like that, and they did it so well of making it look like two different people actually arguing. Anyway. I thought that was fantastic. But anyway, but, and Paul does that in this letter because he's the only one writing. He does pick up the contrary voice a couple times in order to, so that he can argue against it. He's like, I know what you're thinking. This is what you're thinking. And then he'll say it. And then he'll be like, but here's why that's wrong. So this was not an uncommon thing for Paul to do. And it's been a controversy in the church for thousands of years. Is this the voice of a believer or an unbeliever? Come on, people. Wake up. Talk to me. What do you think? Are we still in the question? Yes. I'm just looking for your opinion. When I look at this, I see that he says, but I am unspiritual or I am of the flesh. So he's writing as if it's like present as he's writing it. Right. Did he write scripture before he was saved? No, but he but he would take on so the voice. He would he often it happens several times in this book and others 
where the Apostle Paul will take on the voice without even telling us that's what he's doing. But right. he will take on the, the contrary voice. And he'll speak in present tense. Not I, I was of the flesh. It does, absolutely. And that's why, that's why there's been this fight among Christians for so long that this particular portion of Scripture, is he talk? is he speaking as a Christian, is he not? My personal opinion, I will give you as soon as I hear two more opinions from you. <laughs> I would say that he's speaking on behalf of like a non a non believer, a non Christian. Why? Because uh, in other, I mean, like you said, he would take he would take on the the other opinion. Mm-hmm. He would. And so, uh, didn't previously he was in that? I I actually kind of forget what I had before that in chapter seven. I should have looked it up before I started talking. It didn't have it. There's a couple places in chapter seven where he he tells you what the opposing voice would say, but he never takes on the opposing opposing voice in this chapter until now. If that's what he's doing, yeah. So I'd say he's just putting into action what he said previously. Right. I I agree with that. I I think that I do not think these are the statements of a believer, and here is why. Okay, there's very specific reasons why. Verse 14, I am of the flesh sold in bondage to sin. Now, if, when we get into chapter 8, the very, one of the very first things he says is, but you are not of the flesh, you are of the spirit, and you've been set free from the bondage of sin and death. So what does he mean? Are you sold in bondage to sin or are you not? They can't both be true at the same time. Okay, so I have a problem so apparently he got saved between chapter 7 and chapter 8. And, but, but, and, and actually, we, we see him break character at the very la- in the very last verse. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself would... see. So he breaks character just for that phrase. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks thank be to God that I'm not in this place anymore. And then goes back. So then on one hand, I am myself. It's like he just breaks character for that second to say, this was my woe. This was my, my terror, but Jesus set me free from it. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So that's all cool. Um, uh, my question or my thoughts is, is like he says, um, uh, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold in slavery. And then he does say that in eight, but um, uh, isn't the flesh like the part still being redeemed and stuff? So isn't the flesh still until that time but evil? In chapter 8 he says, you are no longer of the flesh. That exact phrase. So either Paul's not saved and he's writing to Christians, or he's not speaking of him of his current state in this moment. I don't see how those two things can go together. Okay? And that's... This struggle, I think he is pointing back to the struggle he had before he encountered the gospel, where, where he had no power, he knew the law, but it didn't help him be any better. He knew, he understood the law, but he, he could never really step into the freedom and obey the law of Christ. This is my opinion, I may be wrong, I'm totally okay with being, uh, you know, with you having a different opinion than me, but I want you to base your opinion on the text and not on your own experience. We do not, our experience does not interpret scripture. Scripture interprets scripture, period. 
if we're not experiencing what's in the scripture, then there's, there's, you know, more we need to learn and more we need to enter into and more we need to receive by faith than we already have. And that's fine. You're on your journey. You're in your process. But, right, but that doesn't make scripture untrue. Apostle Paul himself said it. Let God be true and every man a liar. It's not, it's, the Bible's the Bible. We can't get away from it. Okay? So he says all of this. He says, I am flesh sold into bondage to sin. And then later on, um, he says, making me a prisoner of the law of sin. That's in verse 23. I'm a prisoner of the law of sin. Okay? When we get to chapter 8, it gets completely reversed. It's a totally not different story. So either... So I, ha, I cannot, in my own head, reconcile the end of 7 and the beginning of 8 as being the a person who is in the same place in both a saved person, a person who has found the gospel and is living out the gospel in both in both places. What do you think? Come on. You guys need to get talking. Don't make me call on you. What's going on in your brains? I can understand why this would be, this this statement of mine would be depressing to someone who has read this and found their own experience there. And now I'm saying this is somebody talking as if they're not saved. I can totally understand that. Because when I first read it, that's what I thought. But that shouldn't be what happens. What this should do is give you hope. That the Apostle Paul was there and and he found his way out via the gospel. And you have the same door. That God has more for you than the struggle that you've been living your life in. That God has more for you than the constant battle and the fight that, that, that you've been fighting. That there is a light at the end of this tunnel. Because what I used to believe was, well, this is just going to be my fight until I die and God sets me free. Are you with me there? Like I honestly thought that I was just going to be, that sin was just going to crush me for the rest of my life and I would, I may never find victory. I may never get free, but that's not the gospel folks. And the way to find freedom, the only way to find freedom, I can't say this enough to you, is believing the story, believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to get into that in a minute, what that is. Yeah. Okay, I have a better question then. Is it possible to be born again and then still live by the flesh? Because it makes a clear distinction to that, especially coming up in 8. It talks about we do not live no longer by the flesh, but by the Spirit that sets us free. Mm -hmm. He also makes a distinction even by fleshly thinking, that to be carnally minded is flesh, or to be carnally minded is death, but spiritually minded is life and peace. I don't think that salvation is an off and on switch. Mm -hmm. I know it's. I think it's a process. I think it's a, I think it is a, uh, uh, that there is something that takes place at the moment of faith where our spirit gets enlivened and given new life. And well, well, let's move on to eight. Okay. So that's, that's where we leave. This, this is one of the reasons I hate chapter and verse divisions because we tend to stop at the end of a chapter and be like, well, that was my reading for the day. So that's where you, that's, you just finished. You know, a chapter a day keeps the devil away. That's what, you know, people used to, you know. So, 
That's that's not a you know. You read the whole. Finish the thought. Okay, so let's go to verse eight or chapter eight. Okay, verse one should give us the clue that this is a continuation of the same conversation because he says, therefore, verse one, chapter eight, therefore, I am, I always teach out of the new American standard. Amen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I was in NLT. Oh, NLT is, is fine for reading, but it's not good for study. I wouldn't use it for study personally. I would use ESV or NASB, maybe New King James. I would not use NIV. I wouldn't use NLT. I would. That's just my opinion. The reason I wouldn't use the NIV is because there's, unless you're reading a fire Bible, there's actually some anti-Pentecostal uh, bias in the translation of the NIV, where they kind of despiritualize a couple things in a couple places, um, where they could have gone to a more... Pentecostal translation of the phrase, and they went for a less. And that's because it was translated by non-Pentecostal people. Um, and that's why a fire Bible is different. It's still an IV, but they've actually uh, fixed some of those, those verses. So, therefore, therefore, whenever you see therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. <laughs> It's just easy to remember, and that's what you know. I I had a college professor say that, and I was like, "That's good. I'm gonna never gonna forget that." Whenever you see it, therefore, find out what it's there for. What it, that is a connecting statement, so it's pointing back at something else. That is the reason for this. That is what that means. Okay, so he says that, and this to me just builds my argument even more that. He was speaking as an as someone not regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and that and and now he's put putting the opposite case, the current case, the 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 place we live now. Okay, that's who we were. This is who we are now. There is now now. That was then. This is now. Thank you very much. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay. This points back to the last verse of chapter, or the, the second to last verse of chapter 7. Who will deliver me from this body of death, he said. Okay, condemnation. Condemnation is the body of death. Does anybody know what the word condemnation means? Someone who, something, a building that is condemned, what is its future? That's correct. Okay, the Greek word here is could be also translated penalty. Okay, when you are condemned to die, it means that your future is punishment, destruction, death. That is your future. Okay? The Apostle Paul here says, therefore now there is no future of destruction for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, the body of death that we were connected to that we could not get away from, it has been removed. And now there is no future of death or destruction for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody get excited about that. Now think about it for just a minute. Where were you headed? You had no power to save yourself. Not just hell. 
you were already in a, in very much in hell already. Decay and death and destruction had already begun in you. And the longer you were in the way of death, the system of death, the law of death, the more dead you became. And you were set on a trajectory. Anybody, everybody know that word? You were set on a trajectory, a future course of continued death forever. Is everybody with me this morning? You guys just see them a little dead today. Do I need to have you stand up and do like, you know, jumping jacks or something? Okay. And, and you know, show me the life in your faces. I know you're awake. Tell your face that it's true. Okay. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is really great news. Okay, we are no longer destined for death and destruction. That's, that's amazing. Our entire destiny has been changed. Why? Because now we're in Christ Jesus. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Jesus delivers us from this body of death. Our condemnation has been canceled. What has been, re what has been scheduled is new construction. We are being rebuilt from the, from the ground up, from the inside out. It's the exact opposite of condemnation. Have you guys heard that really, really bad joke about the guy who was like walking past Beethoven's grave and they were hearing the songs in reverse and it's like, oh, he's, he's decomposing. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's dumb. Okay. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a real sucker for a good pun, but anyway, I, I really am. I just pun puns are a thing for me. So anyway, erasing erasing the music is the opposite of creating it. Okay, you. You are now in a place of new creation. Whereas you were in decay and you had a future of destruction, now you are in recreation, resurrection, and you have a future of greater, more, more beautiful, more powerful, more amazing life than you've ever had before. You aren't going to stay as you are. Life is at work on the inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you have left one system and you have come and you, you are part of another. But I'm getting ahead of myself. This is verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. How can you say that that sentence is written by the same person as I am flesh, I am set bound to sin? Can the, can the guy say that both of those sentences were true of him at the same time? I don't think so. I don't think so. That's why I, I can't interpret that last part of chapter 7 as Paul talking about who he is now, but who he was, his former state. Okay? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Is there a more beautiful verse in the scripture than that one? I don't know that there is. This, listen to that sentence, okay? When he says the law of the spirit of life, the word law here is not like the word law 
like the law of Moses. It's a different word. Okay? And it really means the system. Okay? So the system of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's, it's in reference to a process. The process you're in has changed. You were in the process of sin and death, but now you're in the process of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's exciting. That's amazing. And Paul's not saying it's a magic wand. Paul's saying this is a process. Just as dying was a process, resurrecting is a process. And we are moving forward in that process because we are in Christ Jesus. We no longer labor under the inability of the old system, the old mode of operation. Okay, it doesn't apply to us anymore. I'm trying to think of <laughs> I'm I'm a I I'm a big podcast listener. And uh, there's this podcast that I really, really like. It's called Imaginary Worlds. And it's all about, like, imaginary worlds, like these different. And it kind of goes deep on some of these, like, universes that have been created in fiction or in movies and whatever and explores some of the themes you might not have thought about or whatever. But one of the shows was all about the, the magical systems of different uh, imaginary worlds. Okay, so it talked about the, the laws of magic in the Lord of the Rings and the laws of magic in Harry Potter and the laws of magic, like, and there was another one, but I don't, it's not something I've ever read. I was just talking about how authors, like, build these systems of laws that magic operates a certain way. And then within that world, they have to operate, you know, that magic can do things, but it can't just do anything or else there would be no problems in the story, right? I mean, if, like, for instance, let's take Harry Potter, for instance, if magic could raise people from the dead, then Harry wouldn't, and then what, why is Voldemort scary, right? Because, oh, he can kill you, but I'll just raise you from the dead, no problem. Are you, you follow me? Okay. So there has to be a law in place that magic can do a lot of things, but it can't raise people from the dead, okay? And there's a lot of other laws, too. But the reason I mention it is because it's like it's like it's like playing two different video games. You know, each every video game has a different set of rules built into it. And you don't expect a Sonic video game to act like a Mario video game. They're very different. Some of the things are the same, you can still jump or whatever, but Mario doesn't do that thing where he turns into a ball and phew, okay? Mario doesn't run really. I mean, you know, uh, you know, there, there, there's there's whole different sets of rules, and we understand that automatically. But the Apostle Paul is saying, "Look, you've left one game and you've been put into another. You've left one set of rules and you've been planted in another. And the way that things operated before is not the way things operate now. All the rules for your life have changed because you are now in." Christ Jesus. And now the things that Jesus did on the cross, in the grave, and rising from the grave apply to you. Is everybody with me? I'm just getting this like numbness. This like All right, everybody stand up. We're just gonna have to do this. I'm sorry. You forced me to it. Everybody stand up. Come on. Come on, stretch as high as you can. Oh. Oh. You know, bend down and touch your toes, something. 
Get the blood flowing a little bit to your brain. Wake your body up. Oh, oh, no. Oh, Okay. All right. All right. Before you get too settled, our head straight up in the air. This is what we're gonna say right now. We're gonna we're gonna prophesy over our own souls this morning. Okay, we're gonna prophesy cha- verse two of Romans chapter eight. The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Okay, speak it with faith. The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. One more time. The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I just, you know, sometimes you kind of wake up your soul. All right. The mode of operation has been changed, okay? And this is why. Now the Apostle Paul explains why and how the mode of operation has been changed for you. Verse 3, for the law, this is the other word law. I know it's confusing, they should, have, they should have translated the system word law differently than the... But you can tell the difference in your Bible because when he says the law of the spirit of life, it's, it's a... It is... What's, it's not a capital letter. What's, what, is, what is that word? Lowercase. Lowercase. It's a lowercase L. When he says the law, it's a lowercase L. But then when you see in verse 3, it's, it's capital L. Okay, because here he's actually talking about the law of Moses. Are you follow? All right. I know that's way too subtle, and translators should have paid attention to it, and they should have changed that other word, but it didn't happen. Okay. I looked. There isn't. I couldn't find a a, a translation that I would study out of that 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 translates that differently, even though they're two different Greek words. Verse three. For what the law of Moses could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law, capital L, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay, so... The law of Moses had requirements. A price had to be paid. There was a debt that had to be paid. Okay? It was very real, and God couldn't just skirt around it by saying, I'm a gracious, loving God. Never mind. You're okay. Just forget it. You know what? I'm not going to press charges. God couldn't do that. God would cease to be himself if he did not punish sin. In Exodus 33, when when, when Moses says, show me your glory, and God's like, okay, but you got to bury your face in this rock while my face passes by, and then you can watch me leave, okay? You can look at my backside, which I always thought was a little bit weird. <laughs> God's like, you, can, you know, <clears throat> but, <laughs> right? <laughs> Dude, do you feel better about yourself <laughs> now, <laughs> If I'm checking out your butt, it's just because I'm, I'm just reliving Exodus 33. I'm looking at the glory of God. 
Anyway, <laughs> hallelujah. Okay. Oh, come on, ladies, as if you didn't do the same thing from time to time. Yeah. That's what I think. Oh, I know. It does happen. Some people just aren't butt people. What can I say? Oh. We're talking about that. I don't know why. Just, you know, it's just. I didn't. Yeah, we did. We did a little bit. But anyway, okay. Exodus 33, Moses was, God said, show me your glory. As God is walking by, he proclaims his glory to Moses out loud as God is passing by. And this is what he says. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, but he does not allow sin to go on punish. It's part of God's glory that justice is part of his glory. Mercy is part of his glory, but justice is also part of his glory. God cannot allow sin to go unpunished because he's just and righteous and right. So God cannot and will not just say, you know what, you get a pass. You're so cute. I'm just going to let you go. It's not God. He can't do that. I don't know where the accent came from. It just, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> just, that sounds like Well, you know, God did choose the Jewish people, so who knows? That's, maybe that's what God sounds like. We're going to get to heaven, and he's going to be like, Oi, look at you with your Goya Shaponim. Okay, anyway. Oh, my Lord. What? <laughs> right now they're going, heaven just doesn't sound as good as it did. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, okay. Um. <laughs> Jesus grabs you and wraps his arms around you and he's like, I'm self-eclipsed. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so. Like Qui-Gon what was I, what was I saying? <laughs> God can't do that. God can't just give you a pass. Can't do that. Because he would be denying his own nature. He'd be denying who he is. And he is perfect and he is holy. So sin must be punished. The law has requirements. Capital L, law, has requirements. The law of Moses, the law God gave us. It doesn't just go away because... Oh, well, that didn't work. Next. That's not how it worked. The law had to be fulfilled. And Jesus said it himself. He said, he said, as heaven and earth shall pass away, but God's word shall never pass away. He said, I am not here to remove the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. He said, every single word of the law will be. Actually, he said, every single tiny little punctuation mark of the law will be fulfilled. He said, every jot and tittle, which were punctuation marks in the Jewish language. Okay. It's like the dot over the I. It's like, it's like Jesus saying every I will be dotted and every T will be crossed. It's the same kind of an idea. It's going to be done. Well, do you guys ever see Wayne's World? Well, well, we will cross every T. We will dot every lowercase J. 
You know what I'm talking about? Because oh. <laughs> the guy only has one eye. He's like, anyway, forget it. <laughs> Party on, Jared. Party on, Wayne. Actually, that's in Wayne World 2. Not the first one. But regardless, I, I adore Wayne's World. But <laughs> so, what was I saying? Sorry. Um, it has to be fulfilled. So Jesus came, but the problem is our flesh is, was unable to fulfill the law because we were imperfect. Okay, The weakness of the flesh kept us from being able to fulfill the law by itself. So Jesus came, God says, what the law could not do, weak as it was through your flesh, God did for you by sending his own son in flesh, incarnate. That's what the word in flesh, that's what the word incarnate means. It means in flesh. God made himself a human, lived out the law perfectly, fulfilled it completely, and then died a sinless death, taking all of our sin with him to the grave. That was my sermon on Easter Sunday was Easter is all about what Jesus took into the grave and what Jesus brought out of the grave. Jesus took your sin into the grave and he did not bring it back out. That's why it says he condemned sin in the flesh. What does condemn mean? Destined for destruction. Jesus destroyed sin in his own flesh. Okay, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, the sin of all humanity was sucked off of us and it was placed on Jesus. And when Jesus died, that sin died with him and he took it to hell where it belongs and he left it there. So that when Jesus came out of the grave, the sin did not come with him. And now we, through faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit, are connected with Jesus in his death, connected with him in his descent to the dead, and connected with him in his rising from the dead. So that our sins are all are gone. Are you with me? Okay, our sins, past, present, future, are gone. Okay, Jesus had to be a human to do this. Jesus had to be an eternal being to do this because he had to fill all of time in his ascension. That's why he can forgive every past, present, and future sin because he is an eternal being beyond outside of time. And Jesus had to be sinless. To do this. Well, he could have forgiven every sin that had happened up until that time, but nothing in the future. Right, exactly. Well, Jesus died and he rose from the grave and that was good news for everybody that had lived and died before then. But guess what? You're, you're all screwed. Sorry! Unless the Holy Spirit becomes incarnate and then dies for you. No, I don't think that's going to happen. Are there any questions or comments at this point? I want to keep it open. I want this to be a discussion, not a lecture. Okay. He set it up so that the law was confined to the flesh, and we being joined with Jesus and death and resurrection are no longer according to the flesh. 
We are a people according to the Spirit, so the law has no power over us anymore. Remember, the law is a ruler. It cannot bend, it cannot change, it cannot help. It's just a standard. That's all it is. It just shows you you can't, you don't measure up. That's all the law ever does. That's all it can do. That was what he spent the whole last seven chapters telling us. Okay? But God did what the law could not do. And Jesus passed the bar and fulfilled the requirements and took us with him via the Holy Spirit and faith. I'm just going to let this sit for a minute. Does this make sense to everybody? Now, that is how we came to this new system, this new set of rules and, and a new mode of operation was what Jesus did on the cross, in the grave, and rising from the grave. That's the whole gospel, by the way. Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday is the whole gospel. Jesus had to descend to the dead or else we wouldn't be saved. And he had to rise from the dead or else we wouldn't be saved. The cross was not enough by itself. It was Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that completed our salvation. If Jesus, The Apostle Paul said it himself back a couple chapters ago in Romans, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, then our, our salvation is in vain. He also talks about that in 2 Thessalonians. Or is it 1 Corinthians 15? I don't know. One of, 1 Corinthians, it's 1 Corinthians 15. Anyway. Verse 5. Now, this is what it looks like now. For those who are according to the flesh, their minds are set on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Okay? Now, understand, in the Greek, the word set is not there. It's put in there as an, okay? And it just says, the mind of the flesh is death, and the mind of the spirit is life and peace. We've been given the life of the spirit through faith, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ and what he did. And now we are a people of the spirit, we are no longer a people of the flesh. Remember what we talked about before. The flesh, our our earthly physical desires and 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 longings are created by God. There's nothing inherently evil in them. But they were never meant to be the teachers of our lives. They were never meant to be the rulers of our lives. They were never meant to show us where to go and what to do. We were not created to run after the desires of the flesh all the days of our life so that we're just constantly running from meal to meal, from sexual encounter to sexual encounter, from whatever. Okay, that's not what life is about. People will tell you, well, life is for living. Well, but that's you are more than an animal. Okay, in the animal world, the only thing they that they are driven by is is fleshly desire because they don't have a higher existence than their fleshly existence. 
Okay? That's not what you are. You are an eternal being. You are not a temporal being. And your life was not meant to be ruled by the temporal desires of your physical being. Now you have to, you have to eat, you have to breathe, you have to drink water, you have to do those things in order to keep your physical body in motion. But when your physical body ends, your existence does not. The thing which is most powerfully you continues on. And eventually we'll get a new body which is going to be even better. My new body is going to be six foot five and well-muscled. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't think we're going to care about any of that, honestly. But I am going to fly and walk through walls. I mean, those are all things that Jesus did in his resurrection body, so I'm pretty sure we can do them. I don't see why that would be a problem. <laughs> and we still will be able to eat, by the way, oh, yes. because Smack Jesus, because Jesus ate in his resurrection body two different times. Jesus ate with his disciples. That's pretty great. Yeah. Never gonna gain any weight. Never gonna. Uh... <laughs> Absolutely no sickness, no pain. It's going to be beautiful. <laughs> no, no more glasses. What? I don't know. Maybe. <coughs> anyway. All right. So check this out. Those who exist according to the flesh. I love this word according to. According to the flesh can only exist according to the flesh. They can only think fleshly thoughts. They're trapped in the old with no ability to step into the new and be led by the Holy Spirit. That's Salvation is a miracle where God changes you from one thing into something else. You are unable without the power of God to be a spiritual person. And people are like, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. No, you're not. You're soulish. And that's not the same thing. You have, you have an invisible part to, to your being. Everyone does. I don't think we the Lord's actually been talking to me a lot about my existence in the invisible lately and being more aware of the invisible. He's like, he's been saying that to me in the last several weeks, just you're not aware enough of the invisible. When we were, our church did a ton of work, an ungodly amount of work to get our building and, and things ready for Easter Sunday. Uh, we had, you know, whole teams of people from the church were there and were, we, we repainted the lines in the parking lot and we did, we did, we did about 30 hours, man hours of work. Um, uh, on, on the church prior to Easter Sunday. And the Lord, the Lord said to me, the Thursday before Easter, the Lord said to me, you're making many visible preparations, but how many invisible preparations have you made? And I was just like, dang it, Lord. You see, I'm working hard. He was like, yeah, but all this stuff is great, but the thing that's going to get people saved is the invisible preparation. The thing that's going to change human lives is the invisible preparation. The thing that's going to that's that's going to cause cause things that last are the invisible preparations. 
And so I had to call up all my intercessors and be like, I'm sorry, I'm an idiot. Please, we got to pray. We got to pray. We got to prepare our hearts. You know, I was sending out to, you know, the, the verse from the book of Joshua where Joshua tells his people, consecrate yourselves for the Lord is going to do great things among us tomorrow. That, that, that we have to be a people who are ready and who have cleared the atmosphere of all the activity of the enemy via prayer and intercession and etc. So the, the, uh, those that are according to the flesh can only think fleshly thoughts. They're, they're, they're trapped in the old. They have no ability to step into the new. Their mind is set, okay? Their mind is the flesh. It is the flesh. It's like when concrete sets, the only thing you can do is break it. You can't fix it. And that's where they're at. They had no ability to move beyond it without the power of God. Okay? But, and, and this is why the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 2 says, But do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's pointing back at this verse. We're never going to get to Romans 12 anyway. We don't have enough time. But he's pointing back to this verse and he's saying, look, you are spiritual people. So make sure that you're keeping your mind and your will, you're, you're staying, uh, pressing into your, to the, to, to the spiritual empowered part of your existence. It is a process and we control the speed of that process to some extent. The more you cooperate with the, with the operation of the Holy Spirit within you, the faster you will grow. And the more you resist the power of the Holy Spirit within you, the slower you will grow. Okay, it's that picture again. Um, well, well, we'll get there in a minute. But the mindset on the flesh is death. It has no life in it. It cannot have life. And it does not grow. It only dies and decays. Okay, because of the law. But the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. St. Augustine said it like this. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. St. Augustine was the Bishop of Hippo, which is a town in Africa, a city in Africa. And he was a great Christian thinker, one of the greatest Christian thinkers of all time. And I would recommend. He's hard to read, I will say that. But it's, uh, it's good stuff. Okay, verse 7. Because the mind, here's the, here's the deal. The mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. It refuses. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot cannot please God. We cannot please God in our own strength. We don't have the ability to do so. We have nothing but death in ruling our lives. Okay, That's just the truth. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We step in further into the spirit. We step into the spirit, the first place, via faith. That's why Ephesians 2.10 says, says, 
By grace you have been saved, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Anybody know the rest? Not by works of man, so no one can boast. Exactly. Not by works of the flesh or of man, so that no man can boast. We are unable in ourselves to step into it. We have to believe in what Jesus has already done for us. And that faith will carry us into, out of our death and into new life. Verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh. Okay, once again, going back to the end of 7. How can he say this? You are not, you are not in the flesh. He said, I am flesh, sold in slavery to sin. That's how he started that whole thing. And now he said, you are not in the flesh. So was he contradicting himself or was this a whole different thing? Okay, I just can't stay with that old understanding of the end of chapter 7 anymore. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. This has led some people to believe that you're not saved until you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Eh, wrong. Okay? Jesus breathed on his disciples. Seems like it's the first time that he saw them after his resurrection. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And it was another 40 days-ish before they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But they had already been brought to life by the power of the Holy Spirit when Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you think the resurrected Son of God, breathing on you and speaking prophetically over you, received the Holy Spirit? Do you think it, it took 40 days for that to happen? No. And if it did, why did Jesus tell them later, but wait in Jerusalem until you've received power from on high? He was saying there is something else. This would mean the assemblies of God would believe that there are two works of grace. We believe the first one is salvation, and the second is baptism in the Holy Spirit. And they sometimes they can happen simultaneously, but a lot of times they don't. You become a believer, and then later on you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. But when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit becomes active in your life immediately. I think of it as the difference between wet and between being a hose that pours out water. That's kind of the, that's not a great analogy, but that's kind of what my, the Holy Spirit begins to work in you, but you're not baptized. The word baptize, it's a Greek word, baptizo, and it literally is a picture of a ship that has been sunk into the water. That there is water all around it and water inside of it. My dad always likes to use the metaphor of a donut being dunked in coffee. Which always makes me hungry, okay? But that's, the, that's his favorite metaphor. Because now you taste the donut, but you also taste the coffee. They flavor each other. It's this kind of melding between, okay? And there's a difference between standing ankle deep in water and being absolutely drowned in it. And that's when... when when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's that one. We get drowned in it. 
Water inside water, outside water all around. Spirit inside spirit, outside spirit all around. And we begin to manifest the gifts of the Holy Spirit in that way. Are we okay, everybody? I know, me too. I've got coffee, but I'm... Uh, I've given up donuts. I have... I'm really, really trying hard to, uh, the Lord convicted my wife and I that we have kind of let go of our, we haven't been paying attention to our physical bodies and so we've been really trying hard to do better. And it's working just not very fast and donuts sound fantastic right now. Um, donuts are disgusting. You've never had rice and roll. No, they're so bad. I said, we'll do cardio. He did. We did. I don't do cardio. He ate like, yeah, Closest same. I get to cardio is a fast walk. Same. It's just not. <laughs> or worship. Worship helps. I went to the Bethel worship night on Sunday night in, in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, my Lord. Can I say this? Okay. On the bill for the night was Jonathan and Melissa Helzer, who I adore. She's insane. She's insane. I love her so, and I've seen them live before. But this, they were on, and then Paul and Hannah McClure, who I love, and then Hunter Thompson, who I love. So it was just like this is going to be great. And then the then the Helsers come out, and all of us, and and Melissa Helzer is like, we found this girl wandering around backstage, and Stephanie Gretzinger walked out on the stage, and I was like, oh my god! I was like, like I was squealing like all the little girls in the room, you know. Stephanie's like, shut up, stop it, stop it. She was. Her family lives in Ohio, and she was visiting family and, and decided to just come sing. <laughs> right? I was just like, ah, Jesus, you do love me. Because <laughs> I, like, my, my, okay, my dream team, the only person from my dream worship team that wasn't on stage was Jeremy Riddle. Everybody else, if Jeremy had walked out, it would have been like, did the rapture happen? Because he's the only one. And Hunter actually did several Jeremy songs and blew them out of the water. But this place was, there was 2,000 people there. This on the Ohio State campus. I know. And the people were singing and worshiping so loud that you could not even hear the worship leaders sometimes. That's how, like, crazy this place was. It was amazing. I was just weeping just because of the crowd. There were so many times when the worship leader just kind of, like, stood back from the mic, like, just go. <laughs> the whole crowd just like, ah! you know, not screaming for them, but just worshiping like crazy. Oh my gosh, it was an amazing night. But anyway, my wife was so mad because I had I wanted her to go with me, and she decided that she could, wasn't going to go because there was all this stuff going on the next day. And then, and Stephanie Gretzinger is her absolute favorite, and I was like, uh, Stephanie Gretzinger just walked out on the stage. She's like, I hate you. It's like you did this, not me. I offered you. I would have made it work, babe, but you decided to stay home. Anyway. <laughs> it was amazing. Okay. <coughs> so, where were we? Oh. However, you're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Okay? So it's the Holy Spirit's presence on the inside of us that make us the people of God. We are the people of God because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. Okay, later on in Romans, 
In fact, I think it's in this chapter, actually. It's actually coming up. But it says, it says that he has sent the spirit of adoption into our hearts. The spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father. That we literally become the children of God because we're led by the spirit of God. But we'll be there in a minute. Okay? Christ is in you. Oh, I want to go back to, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If the Holy Spirit is not active and powerful inside of us, we are not saved. And I want you to hear this. Because the Holy Spirit will be as active in you as you allow him to be. That's another thing my dad says all the time is, you can have as much of God as you want, and you probably do. That hurts, doesn't it? It's just like a punch to the gut from Pastor Ron, okay? It's like, oh, that's mean. But it's true. It's real. You can have as much of God as you want, and you probably do. So if you're really asking for more of God, you need to do some shifting on the inside. There's some deep stuff that needs to change. There's places of that you're not in alignment with the movement of the Holy Spirit where you need to ask God, show me those places in me that are standing against the power and the movement of the Holy Spirit so that I can shift and be more filled than I am now and I am today. Show me those things inside of me that are battling against the work of the Holy Spirit. Awaken me to the patterns of my own mind, my own flesh, my own thoughts that, that stand in opposition to the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a verse, I didn't write it down in here, but it says uh, that our, our weapons of warfare, they're not carnal, but they're powerful in the Spirit for the breaking down of strongholds, for the, to the crushing of the vain imaginations which set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Okay, there are, that's when the Apostle Paul talks about strongholds, he's talking about ways of thinking, uh, uh, thought patterns, behavior patterns, uh, um, um, just ingrained uh, ways that our brain works, where God's going to have to exercise Holy Spirit power to break that and give us a new way of thinking, to, to truly renew be renewed in our minds and become uh, uh, more aligned with the Holy Spirit than we were in the past. Okay, this is so key when it comes to the idea of repetitive sin that we just cannot get away from. The reason it's still there is not because the Holy Spirit is not in your life. It's because you haven't, there is some pattern set in your brain, in your soul, that has convinced you that whatever it is, whatever that repetitive sin is, is more satisfying than God. That you will find more joy in that repetitive sin than you do in, uh, in, in God. So as soon as pain or difficulty or just <laughs> boredom sets in, your mind, your will just follows into that pattern that's been established for so long. And you end up doing the thing that you ne- that you end up doing these things that you're like, I didn't, why am I doing this? The reason you're doing it is not because God's not active in your life. It's because you haven't fully understood 
the pattern that's been established in your soul that leads you to that spot. And the minute that you do, the minute the Holy Spirit begins to unveil the roots of that thing, you can begin the process of uprooting it from within you. And that's the Holy Spirit is ready and willing to do it, but we have to be ready and willing to repent of it. And that's not easy because your patterns are comfortable. And the truth is, the enemy has probably done such a good job of blinding you to your own pattern that you couldn't even see it without a miracle or without someone who lives close enough to you and, and that you live in enough transparency with that they can say, you see, you, you have this pattern. We don't even see it. One of the things that I love to do is, is listen to people and, and hear their patterns of speech that they don't even realize that they do. Okay? One of my dads that drives me crazy. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Every, almost every Sunday, almost every Sunday, he says this. How many of you feel that way with me? Oh, both of us. That, ver- that, that, joke, that joke happens almost every week. Am I wrong? It does. It happens almost every week. Almost every week at some point, Dad says, are you with me? Oh, both of us. Or how many of you feel that way? Oh, bo- it's both of us. That joke happens all the time. And you know, he doesn't realize that he tells that joke every Sunday. He does not even know it. It's just a pattern he's fallen into. And, he could do, and so it makes me laugh really hard every time he does it because I'm like, there it is. I've been waiting for it. Okay. I probably have the same thing, and I, but I really try and listen to my own, my own patterns. I really do because they drive me crazy. I hate them. I hate them. I hate it when I fall into. There was a time when I said literally way too often. There was a time when I said massive way too often. I was just kept saying massive. It's massive. And I was like, I gotta stop saying that because I say it way too often. That we all have patterns of speech that we don't even recognize because it's just reflex. Well, that's true of every part of who you are. You have that. You have that with the way you eat. You have that with the way that you uh, think about certain things. That's why I look for preachers and whatever that press on my patterns, because I think about God in one specific way, and without even knowing it, I've put him in a box. He's totally he he, and then Jesus will, and and the and sometimes. Having those patterns exposed or exploded makes you think it hurts. And you're like, you're not the God I thought you were. And God's going, no, I'm way better. Well, we have to invite the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to us, to reveal the lies that we believe instead of the gospel. To reveal the, the, the things we've carried over from our old fleshly life that we think should still work now, but they don't because you follow a new set of rules now, a new mode of operation now, and you can't live the way you did before. You are different. It's like trying to live like a single person when you're married. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And that's one of the things that I try and tell like if I'm doing marriage counseling with people, I try and help them understand. Your once this wedding takes place, you are not who you were. 
And so you cannot think about yourself or your possessions or your life, your time, your energy, your money. You can't think of any of it the way that you used to. You have to think of all of it in a new way because you're not who you were. And that's really tough. And a lot of times the first couple years of marriage are really hard for people because they're trying to live life as two single people in the same house. It doesn't work. It's not who you are anymore. Two have become one, and now you have to live, the two of you, as one person. And that's not easy to do. And any head start I can give married couples on starting that process of thinking as two and thinking as one, not as two, is going to help them immeasurably. It just does. Because most of the fights that people have once they get married are when I before, I did it like this, or my mom did it like this, or my dad did it like that. Well, guess what? You're in a new family now, and you guys have to figure it out together. And you don't get to make all the decisions, and you don't get to make all the decisions. You have to figure this out as one. You with me on that? Yeah. <laughs> Jer still hasn't called me, by the way. It's been a rough week. Okay. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, okay, verse 10. Uh, before we go to verse 10, I, I really want to, I want to press into that. I just felt the breath of the Holy Spirit on that, on, on that piece of that discussion about the Holy Spirit breaking old patterns. Um, you, as with everything in the Christian life, you can cooperate with him in that or you can fight him. Okay? The, way, the ways that you cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that is spending a lot of time in the Word. Okay? It's listening to preachers you've never listened to before. Listening to teachers you've never listened to before. Because you probably have figured out ways of not being convicted by the preachers you're already familiar with. It's just the truth. Okay? It's about being honest and accountable with other human beings. We are not meant to do this life by ourselves. We're not meant to grow in Christ by ourselves. And if there aren't people in your life that know your deepest, darkest sin... That deepest, darkest sin is never going to be removed from your life. One of the hardest things to do, and I see this all the time, all the time as a pastor. I will be discipling someone. We will be walking side by side. I will be talking with them about their stuff. And then something bad happens and they just disappear off my radar. They'll come to church maybe, but when I'm there, they just won't look at me like, like, you know, and I'll be like, hey, can we need to meet again? We haven't met for a while. It's like, yeah, it's just been really busy. But I know the truth. The truth is that there's something they don't want to talk to me about. There's something they don't want to, they, they, they don't want to be transparent right now because they're not happy with where their life is. And I get that, but that is exactly how you stay the same. That is not how you change. You change by saying, I did this and I'm not proud of myself. I'm struggling with this and I'm not proud of myself. I'm really mad at God about this. 
I'm really struggling with that. By bringing out the stuff, the stuff nobody else is supposed to know and talking with somebody about it and being, being look, I need help with this. Will you watch my life? I have this, I, I, I know I have patterns that I can't see. I need someone else to see them, to bring them to my attention. And you know what? You can't be mad at them when they do. That's really easy to do. When you say, hey, watch my life, Gracie. And if you see this happening in my life, I want you to bring my attention to it. And then you're in the midst of your stuff, and she's like, remember that pattern I told you, that you told me about? And you're like, shut up, Gracie. I don't like you. <laughs> I do that to my wife all the time. <laughs> when I'm like, babe, when I'm starting to get impatient with the kids, will you... Just nudge me about it. And then I'm getting impatient with the kids, and she's like, you wanted me to nudge you about this. And I'm just like, woman, five steps behind and to the right. Shouldn't you be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen? I don't really feel that way. Or... My kitchen has tile. It's very cold. And we live we live on a crawl space. So it's cold. <laughs> anyway. But I get I get I get snippy with, with her when she draws my attention to the fact that you're falling into your old pattern. Because I don't in that moment, I don't want to be made aware of the fact that I'm falling back in my old pattern. I'm not interested in that. I enjoy my pattern right now and you just let me have my pattern. That's why your wife cannot be your accountability partner. Can I just say that right now? Cannot be. It will ruin your marriage. And those of you that are called into the ministry, do not attempt to pastor your wife or your husband. Very bad idea. It just is. You cannot pastor your wife or your husband. Don't even try. They need to have spiritual leaders in their life that are not you. Now, you're the spiritual leader of your home, but... If I ever put on the like pastor voice or the whatever with her, like, I want to talk to you about this. It's just like, oh, please, whatever. I've seen you naked. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's our relationship and we love it. Okay. That's just the way it is. We're both like, so because we have to be just, you know, gut level real with each other all the time, because if we're not that. We, we're doing life together. We have to be completely honest and 100% real with one another all the time. So we do talk to each other that way sometimes. <laughs> and I kind of enjoy it. Um, where was I? How much time do we have? Five minutes. Do we go to, we go to 11? All right, we'll stop there. Well, let's do verse 10, and then that'll be it. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay? 
It's the resurrection bomb that I've talked to you about before. The Holy Spirit brings our spirit back to life and then pours influence through the spiritual part of us into the soulish part of us and all the way through into the physical part of us. And that should be evidenced. Not that you're perfect, but that you're changing. And if you're not changing... You need to go back and you need to figure out what's clogging the fountain of the Holy Spirit, which should be gushing rivers of life through you. If it's become a trickle, you need to find out why. I heard Kim Walker talk about this one time. She's like, even if it's in the grocery store, if I feel a disconnection from the presence of God, I will stop in the aisle and just be like, Jesus, I will not allow myself to be shut off from the voice of your spirit. I was like, yes. Yes, and it is a fight because the mundaneness of our regular everyday, every minute existence, all of that, okay, it tends to numb us to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Our flesh begins to to exert itself backward in the other way. We have to say, no, 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 this channel stays clear and I stay open to the influence of the Holy Spirit all the time. We have to fight for that. George Mueller. Anybody know who George Mueller is? Powerful man of faith uh, from a long time ago in England. He, he established multiple, multiple orphanages in England. And he said he, he refused to ever do fundraising for the orphanages, ever. Because what he said was, <laughs> what he said was, God's going to provide for these kids. So he would just pray and money and food and stuff would come in when there was no reason for them to expect money or food or anything. And God would take care of them. That was, he was, that's just how he was. He's a lot of people I've heard him referred to as the apostle of faith because he was like, no, I'm not going to do things any human way. I'm only going to do them God's way. And God didn't tell me to go out there and, you know, beat the bushes for money. I'm just going to expect God to provide period. That's scary, man. But this is what he said. He said, every day before I do anything else, I will not move from my house until my soul is happy in God. And then I can do everything else. Because until I've made connection with the Holy Spirit, I have no uh, permission to encounter anybody else. So unless I've got the spirit flowing through me, why I should not inflict myself upon anyone? I think that's so brilliant. I'm just like, oh, Lord, I'd have to get up at three in the morning every day. And maybe he did. I don't know. It's just like get putting yourself saying, I'm not going to move from this. From I'm not going to go out into the world and begin my day until the influence of the Holy Spirit is obvious in my soul. And then... I can begin. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit inside each of us today. Lord, my prayer over my friends and myself is that we would stay awake and open and ready and filled with your Holy Spirit at all times. Lord, that we would not allow our flesh to reassert itself or to or to, to numb us to the voice of your Holy Spirit, but that we would fight to keep the connection open 
fight to stay submitted to the Holy Spirit because we are not of the flesh anymore. We are of the Spirit. And we want the Holy Spirit to have resurrection life evidenced out of us all the time through the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act, and the miracles that take place through us everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.